Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In this episode, we begin a new series called Remember, which will survey Peter's second letter where he warns believers about false teaching that was infiltrating the churches. The first message is entitled Remember God's Promises, and it focuses on truths that empower godly living. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Do you know where hope can be found? Ooh. Do you know where hope can be found? Do you live with hope? Do you have hope? Boy, life's hard with no hope, isn't it? Today we begin a survey of 2 Peter called Remember. This letter is attributed to uh, Jesus' disciple Simon Peter. The name Simon Peter is interesting because Simon is Hebrew. Peter is Greek, so it's a combination of both languages in the name Simon Peter. It's believed to have been written in A.D. 63 to 65, toward the end of Peter's life. The occasion for the writing, or the problem he was addressing, was that false teaching was infiltrating the churches. He had planted a number of these churches, and so he is writing to warn them about people who were saying, Jesus is not coming back so you can live any way you like. They asserted, in fact, that the soul is spiritual and pure. And therefore, the soul is unaffected by sins committed by the body like a pearl. You can drop a pearl in mud and it doesn't change the pearl, but that does not apply to a human life. That's a heresy. It's a distortion of biblical truth. And so to enable believers to resist this heresy, this false teaching, Peter is urging them through this short book, three chapters, to remember their identity in Christ. He encourages growth in their knowledge and for them to continue to trust in the promise of Jesus' return. Take out your program if you haven't already. The theme verse that I've selected is part of verse 4. It's on the top of your outline there. And because of his glory and excellence, he, God, has given us great and precious promises. Are you aware of those promises? Do you live by them? Do you remember them? So we start in verse 1, chapter 1, in this Bible available here at Brookwood. It's on page 981. If you need one of these, you better buy it. I hear that they may stop printing them because they're running short of paper. There's a shortage in a lot of things in our land. This is a day when we need some hope and some direction and some guidance, don't we? This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave. Some translations um, say servant. The Greek word is doulos, and essentially it just means someone with total devotion to another. And in this instance, it's Peter had total devotion to Jesus. He was also an apostle. 
of Jesus Christ. An apostle is a sent one. So Peter in particular was sent with authority to proclaim the gospel. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. Important point that he begins here with. What he's saying is that all are equal before God. All are sinners saved by grace. There is no elitism. There is no secret knowledge. You know, human pride always wants to divide. And our culture today is full of attempts to divide and separate and order people. That is never from God. That is never from God. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ. Again, some of you are not better than others. Because what they were doing is they were splitting up the church. You know more than they do. You're from this background and they're not from that background. Splitting people up. Does that sound familiar? Boy, our culture has been, sources have have tried to separate us by all kinds of stuff. Background, race, uh, politics. Because every time we're split up, we're weaker. And it has no place in God's church. And what Peter is saying here at the beginning is that all of us are saved in the same way. We all had the same need. There's no different levels. And we're saved not because of anything I know or anything I did. We're saved because of what Jesus did. He's fair. He's just. He saved us all in the same way. Verse 2. May God give you more and more grace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Again, increasing intimacy with God provides greater blessing, greater favor, but also increased peace. See, true peace comes from God because having this this inner calm, it can only be based on something unchanging and whose circumstances don't change. How many of you have a life in which there's nothing in your circumstances that could be improved on? We all do. This world does not stay static. But God does. And so our peace comes only from him, not circumstances. In the coming years, our circumstances may get much worse, in fact. So do we remember where our peace is found? So Peter began by identifying his audience in this letter. And so he's identifying true believers of Jesus Christ. Because the people who didn't possess authentic faith would be disinterested in what he wrote, if not argumentative against it. Today, believers are being dis- 
oriented by diverse messages. There's all kinds of messages that we're encountering in our culture, sometimes even in churches. And I think we need reliable direction about how to live by faith. Are you interested in that? That's not too interested. Are you interested? Now, maybe you say, oh, well, I trust CNN. You trust CNN? I trust Fox. Oh, no, I don't trust either of them. They're all liars. I trust Gateway Pundit. See, none of those are reliable sources for ultimate truth. And yet some of us are so plugged into all these sources to the neglect of God's truth. And we wonder why we're so anxious all the time. We're scurrying around. We're constantly worried because peace will be found in Christ, in God. Our culture, especially in the media and through celebrities, I mean, this, this celebrities as, as the source of, of global information is just astounding to me. Some guy or some woman who acts like somebody else in front of a camera becomes an authority on world peace or global warming or let's wake up. Let's wake up. If you want them to tell you what kind of shoes to wear, go ahead. (laughs) But when they start talking about anything, about how to raise your children, what God wants, because a lot of times these celebrities have become experts on God. Have you noticed that? But they're promoting alternative meanings of salvation and faith. And they're advocating standards of morality that are directly in conflict with Scripture. So what do you want to be your guide for life? Some actor, some musician, some athlete, some, what do they call them? Some influencer. <laughs> I know y'all get tired of me making fun of those people, but it just astounds me how everybody, you got to know your angles, right? Isn't that right? I mean, when I lift up my heel, does that make me look a whole lot better? When I look like this? I'm thinking, how many bizarre motions can you make and some fool is buying that picture? We need, yes, we need to disconnect from some of these sources. Some of these influences should not be allowed to influence us about anything. If you want to buy the blouse, buy the blouse. But Lord, when they start talking about something serious, tune them out. These people are trying to tell us how to live, what to think, how to raise our children, what faith consists of. Listen to none of that. Ask, what is their agenda? Who's dictating to them their message? In summary, what we need to know today is where can truth be found? Where can guidance be obtained? Peter's answer for us is to focus on the promises of God alone as our guide for life. The promises of God do several things. 
at least several that I've pulled out here, and you can find others. First, the promises of God provide power for godliness. Verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us, these are people who possess authentic faith and want to practice that faith, everything we need for living a godly life. Do you believe that? Be careful. Everything. So that means if you possess it, that means you're living a godly life. Is that right? Because you're not lacking in anything, according to this. In other words, believers are fully enabled to live a life committed to God and pleasing to Him. Continue in verse 3. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. The one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. Again, He calls us by who He is, not who we are. Salvation's only and always by grace. And Peter's declaring, though, that knowing God, and knowing God is possessing true faith, leads to godly behavior, invariably. You agree with that? Be careful. Be careful. Because the implications are great. He was exposing this teaching that stated that you could practice sin and remain spiritual. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I'm hearing lots of voices explaining to us who God is and what he expects, aren't you? And somehow they leave out anything about morality. In fact, the people they label immoral are us for having standards. But they're God's standards. But this idea that you can practice sin and remain spiritually close to God is a lie. But it was the foundation of this false teaching. And you could see how it would weaken the church in the same way that it's weakened our culture. In the same way that it's weakened the American church. When we know God, when we're born again by faith in Christ, we receive power from the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Do you remember when you received power? And the Holy Spirit who indwells us, he actually invades us. It's not a subtle thing. He transforms our thinking, our beliefs, which transform our lives so that they conform us to Jesus' character. 
And if the Spirit's in you, that's happening. This Spirit power enables us to live lives that display not ours, but God's goodness. Verse 4. And because of his glory and excellence, in other words, his character, he has given us great and precious promises. You know the word glory, there really isn't a good definition for it. Because what it really means is he's not like us. The Greek is doxa, but it's really an undefined word that just means the uniqueness of God. Because of his glory, his otherness, and his excellence that results from his identity, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Well, how do you share God's nature? What do you think? You got an idea? By your actions, but that's evidence. Come on, Summer, throw me one up here. How do we share God's nature? Yes. We share God's nature by the indwelling Spirit of God. And the indwelling Spirit of God, when the Spirit comes in, what's that called? Regeneration, somebody said. What would you say, Donnie? What you got over there? Being born again. Being regenerated. And when this happens, you are different. And look at this. Look at, the, look at what results from this. You share in his nature and you escape the world's corruption. The world's decay. The world's ruin that is caused by human desires. Does it, did y'all see here that you might escape? You could escape? You don't really have to escape? You escape. When we know Christ, we receive how many of his promises? All of his promises. And with the Spirit's presence within, God's promises become the truths, the beliefs by which we live. You, you getting this? Y'all understanding this? See, you always do what you want to do. Y'all have heard me say that many times, haven't you? And it really made some of you mad. I don't always do what I want to do. Sometimes I do, I do what I don't want to do. No, you always do what you want to do. You may want people to think you don't want to do it. But you can only do what you really want to do. So when the Spirit of God comes in, 
He exposes the lies. He reveals the truth. The truth becomes the beliefs, becomes the belief by which we live. Is this making sense? And so these promises include, I mean, it's a, there's a myriad of promises, but at the very least, they include forgiveness for what sins? Well, past ones, you believe past ones? What about present ones? You believe present ones? Well, you don't believe future ones. What about the ones you haven't even conceived of you're going to commit? What about them? All of them. The ones you haven't committed yet. Because you have no sacrifice for your own sins. So your slate is wiped, what? Totally clean. Totally clean. Another part of the promises is that Christ is coming again. He's going to gather us all. He will divide. We'll all be judged for our lives, but he'll divide the saved and the unsaved, the sheep and the goats. And his followers, his believers receive eternity because there's a promise of eternity in heaven. We are promised the power to resist sin. Now you got to park there a moment because look how often we, we call ourselves victims of our own sin, don't we? I couldn't help myself. But we are given the power to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Another word for that is what? Lust. We don't have to submit. So if we do submit, what? We chose to. We chose to. Because we have the strength to refuse. That's what the Scripture tells us. If you possess the Spirit, you have the power. It's that, it's that simple. 1 John 3, look at this one. Y'all read this one. Read this one to me. We we did that in a round, didn't we? (laughs) Do you believe that verse? I didn't make that up who have been born, do not make a practice of sin. It doesn't say you never have sinned at all, but it says there's no practice of sinning. You don't indulge it. You don't do it. You don't repeat it. And here's the reason. It's not because you are determined. It's because God's life is in you. You don't want it. You don't want it. You can't keep on because you're a child of God. So here's the question. Are you living a godly life by experiencing and exercising divine power? The promises of God also promote spiritual growth. Verse 5. In view of all this, everything that's come before, 
salvation, the promises, the grace of God. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. See, when we're born again, we have the freedom and the responsibility, but also the ability to live according to God's promises. Which means they have become the truths by which we make decisions and decide actions. Now just reflect a moment for what the stuff you used to find yourself embroiled in the middle of. And today you have absolutely no interest. No taste for it. And as we grow closer to Christ, which we do as we live according to His promises, believing them, being guided by them, we reflect His nature in greater measure. Well, I'm not perfect. No, it, it, it happens incrementally. But it happens. Knowing Jesus not only empowers us to stop sinning, it also enables us to grow spiritually as we, we cooperate with God's Spirit to be conformed to Jesus' nature. Continue in verse 5. Supplement. Now, this is tightly packed, so I'm going to break it out for you, but you're going to have to read along. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Now, see, Peter starts right out, doesn't he? Because what they've been, the false teachers have been saying is that there's no connection at all between faith and, and morality. And Peter says they're indivisible. They're inseparable. And continual dependence on Jesus, connection to him, improves our morality. And moral excellence, supplement moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge, and we grow in knowledge, and that's divine truth which increases our discernment and our wisdom. Think about it. Since you've been a believer, you just know things. You don't really even know how you know them. You just know right from wrong. You just know what's correct in a situation. That's the Spirit of God deepening your wisdom. Now, here's the thing. We, we can't draw close to God until we've dealt with our sin. But as we repent, as we turn away from offensive behaviors we grow closer to God. This isn't odd. I mean, it's the same with people. You know what I'm saying? If, if you're married and you are continually practicing what you know is offensive to your spouse, you don't have sweet harmony in your home. You know what she or he detests. You know what I'm saying? If I know my wife doesn't like that I hang my clothes up on the floor... And me, on the other hand, that's how I know what I've worn and I can rewear. This is Monday's underwear. There's Tuesday's drawers. There's Wednesday's. There's, by the time I get to Saturday, then it's long enough from that that I can recycle. 
But if I know what she doesn't like and I'm deliberately practicing it, do you think there's intimacy? Then why would we think there would be with God? Somehow we've, we've turned God into this upright blur who has no feelings, who has no intention. That's not God. God is more defined than any of us. God is more sure of right and wrong than any of us can be. And we act like he has no feelings about anything and no opinion, and we're not interested in if he did. That's not God. That's not God. Verse 6. And supplement knowledge with self-control. Again, self-control, intimacy with God enables the ability to resist sin. Now, here's the thing. False faith, a little religiosity, can't deliver us from sin's control. Because you haven't been given, you haven't received a new nature. You just have a little more information about liturgy or theology or, you know. But you're just as weak in the face of the same sins because you're not different. And supplement self-control with patient endurance. What's patient endurance? Well, look at it this way. It's perseverance in the face of opposition. Some of you may be living that at home. Some of you might be living it at work. Some of you may be living it in the neighborhood. Do you have perseverance in the very face of opposition? And I don't mean that you, you, you go into battle, but you're able to endure patiently. Because your sense of self is from God. It's not from what the guy at the next, next desk thinks of you. You see? But if you don't know what God thinks of you, you're needy of what everybody thinks of you. You ever found yourself there? I need everybody to approve me. There's not a prison with more rigid bars than that. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness is living to honor and adore God. Does that sound like you? Do you honor God? Do you adore God? Because see, as we grow, we will grow in affection for God. And we'll know Him. His personhood. You know, Josh did a great job teaching um, and getting us to practice prayer and connecting with God. I, I hope, that, I hope that, that that stretched you and grew you. It may have challenged you at first. But, you know, we want to, as a church, to continue to learn to adore God. And you saw advertised in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a morning of worship on Mother's Day. And we'll recognize our mothers, but, but more than just our mothers, we're going to recognize God and spend some time praising and worshiping his name and add to godliness brotherly affection and that means affection for other Christians and to brotherly affection add love for everyone see these are unbelievers these are your opponents these are the ones that watch the other news sources 
<laughs> Some of y'all get so aggressive about this. But when we're filled with God's love, we're satisfied. You see what I'm saying? So you're not threatened when anybody disagrees with you. You don't have to get in a fight and win every argument if you know God. So you can love people, maybe people you don't much like even. Christ died for people that, I don't know if he liked them, but he certainly loved them. Some of us, some of us didn't act very lovable, did, did we? And yet Christ gave his life for the unlovely. For the very opponents. For the ones that nailed him to the cross. So we ought to be able to tolerate somebody who reads different news sources, shouldn't we? Do we love them? Even those who oppose us. If we have the spirit, we have the power to do that. These character traits, morality, knowledge of God, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, and love, they're, they're not independent. It's not like you say, well, I've got one of those, but I don't have this other one. I, I favor this one, but I don't really want any part of that one. See, this is a transformation that happens as the Spirit of God gets more control. Each character quality or virtue leads to the next. It's similar to fruit of the Spirit, just a different list. And they don't develop separately or individually. They really all result from being led by the Spirit of God. Verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. See, as we, as we grow and mature spiritually, it, it will be evidenced by character qualities. Evidence to us, evidence to others. And our faith will become more productive. You know, I, I remember I, some people like to say, well, I think faith is a private matter. Faith is not a private matter. Something that radically changes who you are is not a private matter. Haven't you ever walked up on someone and you didn't know it, they'd been born again? They didn't even look the same. It's not a private matter. It becomes who you are. And it, it's displayed in useful and practical ways as we serve others for Christ's sake. I mean, our, our church motto is what? And love God by loving people. We probably ought to use it more than we do. It's a great guide for us. Look at this verse, Colossians 3. It sort of sums it up. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Leave that up a second. How many natures do you have? Where's Roland? He didn't mind saying anything. How many natures do you have? You don't have two. You have one nature. If, you're, if you've received the Spirit and you've been born again, you have one nature. Sometimes you read, but this is sinful nature. That's a horrible translation. It should be translated, 
you live in the flesh. So you, you have a spiritual nature, but it still resides in a fleshly body that is renewed gradually. You agreeing with me, Bob? As time goes on, you, even the flesh gets renewed, not perfectly in this life. But you have one nature, the spiritual nature, but residing in the old body that sinned. And so the Spirit of God is, is shaping it, doing surgery spiritually, changing some things. That's why even in your, your mind, the way you used to think, it's not there anymore. You know, when you used to be, somebody would cut you off, you'd be all, all up in it, you know, and out the window. And all up in the windshield. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I've seen some of y'all. But the last time you got cut off, it wasn't there. Because the Spirit of God has cut it out. Has conformed it. Can y'all identify with what I'm saying here? It's just not there. Because, because you're being renewed, but you're being renewed as you know your Creator. And as you know him, you become more like him. It's becoming like Jesus, Romans 8, 29. So, so, okay, ask yourself, look in the mirror. Do you display increasing Christ-like traits? Sometimes some of us are old, we retire, we think we retired from everything, including being conformed to Christ. Not so. Not so. Is your faith, this said, productive and useful? The promises of God also prevent falling away. 2 Peter 1.9 But those who fail to develop in this way or short-sighted and blind, or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. See, if someone professes faith in Christ and fails to grow spiritually and doesn't escape sin, it's not incumbent on me or you to declare that person saved or lost. We, We don't know. Because people can be saved with and still have some lingering sin, or they can be lost and have some religious the pro- religion. But the problem is they look just alike. It becomes very confusing. But that person himself or herself will also be unsure of their spiritual condition, whether saved or lost. Now, I know people always say, oh, I'm saved. How dare you ask me? Well, the Bible's full of asking. The Bible's full of asking. I mean, that's like saying, well, I I think I have a tumor. I got a big lump over here, but I don't want to know that there's a cancer because if I go and check it out and find out it's there, it'll be there. The best thing you can do is find out where you are physically and spiritually. And spiritually. 
And he's referring to people once blind before salvation. Then they, they, they seem to be able to see. They said some of the right things. They, they practiced some of the right things. But then they experienced a kind of spiritual blindness. And so now where they are is they no longer can see Christ or themselves clearly. Some of us have been there. We certainly know people that are there. There was a time that some things seemed clear, but nothing seems clear today. You know, I had a lady say, I know my child uh, professed Christ at a young age. And I said, quit saying that to her. Ask her if she knows Christ, and if so, why this behavior? Humbly. I know, I know. I said, no, you don't know. And you're not helping. Ask. These people he's referring to, they forgot what they'd been forgiven of. They they didn't remember what it felt like to be freed. You remember that, don't you? Do you remember what it was like to be freed? You remember that old angry self, cursing, mad? It's gone. You've been set free from yourself. Pardoned. Whatever you've done, by faith you've been pardoned. There may be be earthly consequences. There's no heavenly consequences. Cleansed completely clean but if you forget it you're going to end up dirty again if you forget it you means you're not repulsed by it is the spirit in there because you know what I'm talking about those old things you used to do you don't want any part of them at all. They have no attraction for you. Verse 10. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove you're really among those God has called and chosen to salvation. Now remember, he's not saying work hard to be saved. You can't do anything about being saved. You can't work your way to salvation. When you're saved, though, you can give evidence. See the difference? Completely different. So it doesn't mean people earn salvation by working to display these virtues. He's already said that, that we're saved by by Christ and Christ alone. Rather, pursuing Christ will result in developing Christ-like character which confirms the reality of faith in your life. Continue in verse 10. Do these things and you will never fall away. Some translations say stumble. See, when people are motivated to live spirit-led lives, when they are, when they are trying to live and they want to live productive and useful lives in their knowledge of Christ... They're going to be focused on loving people in practical ways. And as a result, 
they don't fall away. Because when you're, when you're using your life in those ways, you're not interested in these enticements. They hold no attraction for you. I mean, have you noticed that when you are consumed with helping someone, when you're acting in a selfless way, you avoid temptation. Isn't that right? You're using all your energy, your focus, your time to try to help someone that has a very real need. You're not tempted to go do something awful. Here's why. Sin is always self-centered. What kind of sin? Every kind of sin. Every sin comes out of narcissism. God doesn't matter. You don't matter. He doesn't matter. My kids doesn't ma- don't matter. My spouse doesn't matter. My friends don't matter. My neighbors don't matter. My church doesn't matter. Nobody matters but me. I matter. Yes, yeah, the most dangerous place you can be. But here's an example. How many of you have been on mission trips? Let me see those hands up higher. Now, while you were in a mission trip, you might have been filthy, dirty, building a building, helping somebody. Were you tempted to sin? No. You know why? Because you are involved in God using your spirit-filled life in practical ways. That's the height of a believer's living, isn't it? That's the best it gets. And so when you pursue godly living, and as a result, you develop Christ-like character, you'll be able to discern and reflect influences that will encourage compromise with this world. And the joyful result of a godly, well-lived life is eternal reward in heaven. Verse, Verse 11. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you living a godly life on earth? Are you motivated by an eventual eternal reward in heaven? Care volunteers will be here. If something I've said confused you or you're unsure of it, They'd love to talk with you, pray with you, continue meeting with you. If you have something private you want to talk about, there'll be someone in the uh, care connection room. I think Leanne, my wife, is there today um, across the concourse. So they'll be here as long as you need them. Father, help us remember your promises and pursue you as we live according to all those glorious, wonderful precious promises you've given to us in Christ. Amen. A good question certainly to think about this week. Are you living a godly life on earth motivated by eventual reward in heaven? Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. You'll notice in this week's discussion guide, which you can find on the Brookwood app, the spiritual practice, which is to write down several of God's promises, reflect on them each day this week. Ask God to fill you with his power to live a godly life. 
Next week's episode continues the series, Remember. To prepare, read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, search the message archives. Just visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Remember series. Thanks for listening and have a great week.